0: to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your regular hosts, Dave Gurney, and I'm joined this week by a panel of guests. Uh, we'll go around here.
1: My name is Kaylee Diaz.
0: Who you might recognize from past episodes, yes. such as when we reviewed The Whale I recently. have a
1: very specific request. Um, the next time you invite me, it needs to be a happy movie, or I'm not coming back.
0: We can do that. Okay, We'll, cool. we'll find happiness. All right, cool. Yeah.
1: We need a party film or something
2: for okay. my next visit. For sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Emily Suggs, and I was last here for two really fun movies. <laughs> yeah, they were
0: pretty fun yeah, movies. they were. Although they, they had some darkness to them, but but fun mostly. The good kind of darkness. Dang. Yeah. And, and, and our new guest.
3: And I'm Pam Briard, and I'm a psychologist, so I can I can hold that negative emotion. <laughs> it's all right by me. She can make
1: any movie fun. <laughs>
3: that's
1: okay.
0: That that's that's great. And uh, I, I'm excited to have all three of you here. Thank you for being here today. Uh, you know, Joe was going to be out of town anyway, and we were we had been kind of brainstorming about how to how to cover some films that had been coming out recently that we really thought were important films that we knew we wanted to see and w- we wanted to be able to discuss. Um, and, and, uh, and I think this was a good opportunity to pull you all together here and, and do these films um, today, which we'll get to those films in just a moment. But before I meander too much, I wanna get beer in our glasses. Um, the first beer for this evening, we are going to a brewery that Joe and I and, and several of our guests in the past have traveled to many times over. And that is real ale. They are out of Blanco, Texas. And this beer of theirs is called Crispy Business. It is a lager. So it should be nice and pretty clear. Crispy, as the name says. (laughs) We'll find out once we actually get to tasting it. And go ahead, there's another can there if anybody wants to open it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The art on it is pretty... um, It's pretty something.
0: Yeah, it's got, like, the gear on there. Yeah. I I can't decide if they're trying to do something related to risky business or if they're...
1: It it, it looks like it's the entire decade, like, wrapped up into a can. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't alive then, so I just, I saw pictures, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, you are quite a bit younger than us, are you? (laughs) I I think
2: that's my fourth grade school picture background oh yes. my goodness <laughs> probably yeah we, uh, right. we had an
1: 80s themed party last year and i ordered one of those backdrops and um all of the outfits were atrocious but you can uh, they're on facebook I'll, show, I'll send them to you later <laughs> they're pretty bad that's
0: awesome um well well nonetheless we'll have some beer in our glasses now we can go ahead and and kind of start sipping and and get into discussing the films we'll, we'll talk about the beer um a- after we get through some movie discussion but the the first film this week or the film that I think in my mind I definitely wanted to cover for the podcast is uh, the twenty twenty two film Women Talking, directed by Sarah Polly, based on the book by Miriam Toes, am I saying that? Tabes. Tabes. Okay, thank tabes you. Tabes with a V with a V S. Okay, Tabes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sure. This this is this is why we have you here. <laughs> um, so uh, th- th- when I heard that Sarah Polly was doing a film, it had been a few years, um, and, and she's long been kind of a favorite of mine. Uh, her, her film, Away From Her, many years ago, her first as director, uh, at least her first feature as a director, I thought was fantastic. Um, her film, Stories We Tell, which is more of a documentary, but it has some kind of playful elements, I thought was brilliant. And, uh, and then more recently, Take This Waltz, um, that she had done a few years back, and and I was kind of excited that, okay, finally we're going to get another film. Um, and, and lo and behold, here it is, based on that book, as we said, by Miriam Taves, who uh, was basing her book, as I understand it, on an actual case of a Mennonite community um, in Bolivia? Is that yes, right? Yes,
3: in South America, yeah. Yeah,
0: where it was discovered that several of the men, I think in in the case of the actual story, maybe seven, had been repeatedly um, drugging and then raping and sexually assaulting the women of the community, uh, and and then gaslighting them and telling them, you know, that it was they were imagining things, that it was maybe spirits that were coming after them at night, and and, and these kind of things. Um, until until it all came out. And th- this film and the novel are a dramatization of that, that as I guess, and I think it was in the, the novel, like frames it as a work of female imagination. That saying like, yes, it's based in this, but this is sort of a, the novelists and now Polly is the filmmaker, screen, screenwriter, um, their interpretation of what could have happened maybe. And I don't think it's at all what did happen necessarily, but it could have happened this way. I, so I, think I, was, that's I was definitely
1: a little confused with that because I thought going into it, um, I decided since my last couple of episodes with you guys that I was going to stop reading stuff before I went to see the film. I would kind of like, I'm like, okay, no preconceived notions. Like, oh, it's, it, yeah, I heard this is based on a true story. And then you kind of get into it and it, the font shows up and it says, based on a woman's imagination. I'm like, what the? F- I thought <laughs> this was a real. I mean, okay, that's fine. Like, it doesn't change that I'm watching it, it doesn't change what, what's happening. Okay, though. And I put a little
3: note on my notebook, and I was like, is it real? Is it not real? Like, I don't know. But but I think that brings up this sort of point that I wanted to start with, is imagination. And um, as old as the art may be on that can of beer, um, this notion that women, particularly women or children who are sexually assaulted, are imagining it or lying or making it up, is an old idea and really the origin that popularized it was the work of Sigmund Freud and to this day as a psychologist it's one of the primary reasons why I cannot buy his theory Freud originally believed that people had psychological problems because they were traumatized by real sexual assault and when he tried to present that theory to the Viennese medical community, you know, they laughed him out of the room. They thought he was being ridiculous. And he went into a deep depression and 10 years later comes out with a, this idea of this powerful unconscious mind that's motivated by sexual need that fabricates. And to this day, because Freud, you know, he's not really a modern psychological theory anymore in that he doesn't really uh, teach us how to practice psychology or anything like that. But he's very popular in film and literature. It's really what has kept Freud alive. And this idea that women, and his patients were almost all women, are making it up goes back to Freud. So every time a woman tries to tell her story, whether it's in Women Talking or in the movie She Said, there's always this disbelief that they're making it up, that they're being vengeful, that they, you know, and and it just goes on and on and on. And I think even some of the words that we use to describe sexual assault, like sexual abuse or incest or things like that, go back to that sort of fantasy kind of aspect of it, that we can't just come out and say, hey, you know, everybody from the four-year-olds to the 80-year-olds in this movie was raped. Right. Um, and one of the reasons it, I also think it is a work of imagination is when you watch the women talking there's only like two displays of anger in the entire movie. You know, the one woman who's sort of challenging them and saying, well, you know, what if it's not true, you know? And then and then uh, when the character that's the mother of the four-year-old who's been assaulted <coughs> loses it, but that's it during the entire movie. That mm. is the two expressions of anger and in the movie she said, which I know we're also gonna talk about too, there's one and that's when the reporter loses it when some guy hits on her in a restaurant. That was and my favorite scene of that whole movie. It, but by it's the, way. the only way she can make him go away. And that's the only time you see anger, because it's just sort of simply unacceptable for women, even today, even a hundred years later, after Freud brought out his original ideas for women to be angry about these incredible, not just physical violations, but psychological violations. And and it's funny because, I think because there isn't a lot of anger in either of these movies, it makes you think about that. I took a lot of the, um,
1: the pacifist approach. I, I didn't take it from that direction. We don't have the same background. I was definitely thinking from the religious girls that I knew growing up. Um, I know, I think we talked about before, we used to go to animal auctions and we used to have Mennonite community okay. that would come and purchase livestock at the small town that we would go to. And I really only ever met the men and they were always very timid. So I, I, I guess I took it more as a, like, the women are already stepping outside their role. So like to display anything more than that. But it, it's interesting to hear it from from a different perspective too. That's really cool. I thought it was, I just took it that oh, they're like the timid little like religious ones and we're already, you know, towing the line or stepping out of the box and then it just had built up so much they exploded. So, I don't know. Do you have any feelings about the
2: the anger, ma'am? Well, the anger, I think, only comes out from Claire Foy's character, the mother of the four-year-old, and it comes out as such a shock, a surprise to me personally, because I don't believe that's the first... Expression of anger, her uh friend who is on you know the other side of things and talking on that side of the line is angry the whole time. But Claire Foy's character is the one who has more almost more reason than anyone else to be so infuriated. And you can tell she's nonplussed the whole movie, but you can't tell how furious she is until that one scene, and that's when the reveal happens. Mm-hmm. Because up until that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. we did not know what had happened with I, the four-year-old. I, yeah, the
1: reveal was much, much later. We knew that I got um, goosebumps. she was sick.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: Remind me, at what point did she go after the guy with the sickle? Was that? Because I didn't even, I I, I put it together It's almost
3: at the end. Okay. Right,
0: and there's like a very quick flash of it right at the beginning and okay. she's kind of offering this summary of the events that happened that, you know, sort of, uh, brought this about. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, so, but, I remember going just like, Oh, a very quick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. I was just, I was trying to put it together. Um, so I saw this at, obviously at theaters It finally came to Corpus. Um, it was a matinee show. I went by myself. I've never gone to a movie by myself. It was a very strange experience. Um, there were like four other people in the entire theater. Um, I brought my poncho again. I brought my notebook. I took up the seat next to me. It was Cinemark. I put the the thing up. I stretched my legs. It was great. Um, And it was... Oh, it was so silent. I forgot where I was going with it. I just got like goosebumps thinking about the whole thing. I remember at the very, very end, um, there was a collective sigh that came out from everyone. Um, There was only one man in the audience. Uh, There were two women sitting together and um, a man and a woman sitting there. And I just remember at the very end, um, just... I felt it. I was like, oh. And then I heard it like all around me. I was like, ooh, is that surround sound? Is it's is it, is it
2: still going. It's so quiet. There's birch chirping. I saw it at 1045 in the morning on Saturday morning. I would have gone with you. I, <laughs> I thought I thought I let's that. give me a call next time. I was time. at the thrift store. I got caught in line. We... Ju- the entire awesome. theater... I was also by myself, mm. and I specifically picked the rearmost seat in the theater. No one else in my row. And there were, you know, rows of um, few women in front of me. I didn't see any men in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of the women were, like, giggling the whole way through. And I, I was mortally offended. I was just shaken to my core. Like, I don't think you understand what you're watching here. <laughs> and that is the fact that, I mean, let's, I mean, I can just cut to the chase and mm-hmm. say, I think this is one of the most genius films I've ever had the pleasure to see, um, mainly because we don't get to see this kind of intense performance by a troupe of women actors, female actors, ever. We n- never get to see this. I can think of two productions that are female-based. One is The Women, the George Cougar film. Mm-hmm. and. One is Steel Magnolias, which is, was originally a stage play for women only. There are no male actors. Mm-hmm. The movie version brought the male characters in, but the story is female-centric. And so this is pretty, it's a fairly groundbreaking film, in my opinion, because we don't have much like this out there. So I, I'll just cut to the chase and say I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I am a huge Sarah Polly fan, so I kind of knew what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. You don't get, you know, roller coasters well, and puppies and rainbows. with <laughs> And perhaps,
3: so. it had to be brilliant in order for it to work, given that 90% of it was staged in a hayloft in a barn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? So the acting was universally really strong. And when I was watching the action unfold, one of the things I thought about, which was a huge thing, when I was in graduate school, was a psychologist named Carol Gilligan, who sort of uh, was one of the first real strong feminist voices in psychology. And her first book is called In a Different Voice. And she had worked with a very famous male psychologist who studied ethics. And the ethic dilemma he used, women always scored lower on than men because, uh, you know, men, it was about sort of more their individual performance and women would always take in the needs of the group. And so she set about trying to look at that a different way. And she did it by doing really long, involved interviews with women who were having abortion. And so it was the first time people were really talking about why they were doing this. And you know, this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. So it was really a thing, right? And it was sort of birthed this kind of research that's very common now called qualitative research, where you actually talk to people about how they feel about stuff. And so this whole book is about her conversations with how women made these kinds of choices. And that's what I felt like I was watching when I watched those women talk, is they, they were trying to talk their way through to how they were gonna manage this dilemma you know first by acknowledging it it wasn't until the truth comes out that they can actually begin to form action but also how um helpless they felt you know you know what few options they had and i think that that's a a theme that occurs a lot when you think about this problem for women is that uh, a lot of times women do not have a voice because they do not have options. And, you know, the very first cases of child sexual abuse were actually prosecuted under laws against cruelty to animals because it wasn't illegal.
1: It took animals before women. Well, it wasn't illegal
3: to abuse (laughs) your wife or your children.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
3: So they did it under an animal law. Yeah. And when I watched this movie unfold, as powerful as it was, the thing that made me sad wasn't the resolution of the movie, but the fact of how little it's really changed in so many ways. Because, I mean, even if you move over to the much more dramatic She Said movie, where you have these powerful journalists, you know, mm-hmm. acting on behalf, but they're acting on behalf of mostly women of privilege relative to the kinds of women that these kinds of things happen to all the time. And, you know, that part kind of made me sad because I thought, you know, the reason why we haven't gotten any farther with this problem, even though this movie is a beautiful illustration of it, is that, um, uh, you know, women don't have power and and the softness of that dialogue in that movie and the sepia-toned filming of the movie all felt like uh, a representation of that to me mm-hmm. i really did
1: um that's actually one of the notes that i put down were that like kind of the muted tones all throughout we know it's a mennonite community so they do have some electric uh devices or things within their lives but taking that muted tone first of all it let us focus on the dialogue it let us focus on the acting you weren't there weren't flashy distractions there weren't like you know i know every once in a while i would notice like oh the yarn in her hair is red like you know little little touches but nothing like ooh what is that girl wearing did you see that color <coughs> excuse me um so the the colors i thought were great um it let me really kind of forget about when is this happening like is this now is this is this then um and i started just kind of looking for things in the background. Like he had a big pen in his hand and like, Okay, I see that big pen and I see your coverall class. I see the triangle hazard or hazard triangles on your, your like buggies, like, okay. And then the truck starts to come around and I was like, Okay, I hear the song. I'm like, How old is that? Like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, and then they started announcing, Come out for the twenty ten census, come out for the twenty ten census. I was like, damn, twenty 20- 2010, how old was I? I was like, do, now I'm doing the math. I'm like, I was 20. Like, what's going on? I could have been one of these girls. Like, um, I really did love the muted tones of that. I just wanted to hop on that little comment real
2: quick. I believe she said, she being Sarah Polly, I believe she said she, that was purposeful on her part, her and her entire team's part, in order to give the impression of a timeless Yes. Tale, a timeless problem mm-hmm. it's going on everywhere yeah. as we speak and mm-hmm. you are more than correct in the sense that it happens to people every day who don't have a voice and can't escape can't leave
3: yeah and i actually saw an interview of Claire foy last night and they wore no makeup mm-hmm. during the film they all had to grow out the hair on their legs I would have been prepared. I would have been ready. You could just put me on set, (laughs) which was uh, apparently a problem for Rooney because she'd had all her elect uh, removed. (laughs) They've got prosthetics for that. And they kept on, kept on accusing uh, uh, Claire Foy of plucking her eyebrows, even when she wasn't.
1: (laughs) Um, That woman is unnaturally beautiful. Yeah, but she you does, know,
3: yes. you're right. It does happen to women every day. The you know the statistics are one out of four American women in their lifetime are raped or uh, sexually abused. Which I think, if we started calling sexually raped, would be a more powerful way to think about it. And um, I wonder if this had happened in the United States instead of Bolivia, if those guys would have actually have gone to prison. Because in the U.S., I could I uh, live near. Uh, Amish communities for many, many years, and I actually had some Amish clients that would have to, you know, come to the mental health center in their horse and buggy, mm-hmm. and they always gave me bread when they would come to see me, which was wonderful, <laughs> and... Um, I wish my visitors brought me bread. <laughs> but, you know, the law enforcement community kind of had a hands-off policy to them, you know, you know, especially during this sort of year that they would kind of let the guys go wild for a while. You know, they basically, you know, wouldn't arrest them for driving the rum drunk spring, yeah. in the yeah. buggy, you know. And, you know, even though we know so much more about sexual assault today and the kind of power dynamics that are at play in these sorts of experiences, one of the things that neither of these movies does is really show the story of who this really happens to I mean most children are sexually assaulted by people they know it's not a stranger it's not a group of Mm -hmm. men crawling into the barn at night and drugging them and raping them of course they knew those women and um, and the, the sexual harassment sexual dynamic of the movie she said is something that's also a little bit different but I think it's such an uncomfortable idea for people that you know if you tried to make a movie about that I'm not sure anyone you know I mean there have been certainly dramatic movies about it like um, oh I can't think of that Precious that Oh yeah, yeah. 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 but um,
2: I don't think that means it's a failure though necessarily I mean just because it doesn't address every aspect of what we'd like to be able to address as a society about sexual assault sexual rape I don't think it means it's a a failure just because it doesn't you know touch on the people who are affected every day and I, and I
1: actually I think I, and you can finish your point go ahead no, no, Sorry. that that basically <laughs> okay yeah, yeah look here we're just we're just women talking I <laughs> mean I, I mean I still think it's a success <laughs> even
2: despite some faults yeah. I mean I found some faults with um you know the script myself uh, and the ending you know think a few things so yeah. I mean I don't think it's hundred percent on my meter but I think
1: yeah. I I think I disagree with with, with the point when um, when you mentioned that they don't really address that these are usually people they know uh, we have the confirmed pregnancy of Nettie who then goes and speaks to her brother because her brother was the one that impregnated her uh, she confirms the deformed child um, I think what this movie has in that aspect is that we do not see an active assault scene here and this is actually something that I really enjoyed as like an assault survivor myself I know that sometimes I have scenes, you know, and triggered is such a weird word in today's you know social media world. Um, It sometimes it really does like bother me, like seeing certain things happen. But we don't see the men drugging the women. We don't see the assaults happening. We see the aftermath. We see what they see, and I think that that's a really powerful thing. But I think they, when they start to put it all together, they know that it's the men that are in their lives. They know it's their family. They know it's these these very close people. I don't think it's something they dwelled on, but um, unless I misunderstood what you were saying before, I, th- I think uh, that's
3: n- no. I, I mean, in that case, clearly it is the men and their family, but mm-hmm. it's also very sensationalized. Yeah. In, in the okay. sense that, you know, there's this gang of men that mm-hmm. are are crawling in the house in the middle yeah. of the night and drugging them. And remember the scene where Claire. Boy, sprays her son mm-hmm. in the face, and I think that was meant. I think that was the drug, the animal yeah. anesthetic. Yeah, right? I,
1: I don't think they they directly say it, but I did think it was interesting that she she had like some very strong things to say about it, as she should. And she was the one sneaking drugs into her daughter's food, obviously for a good cause there, but then also tranking her son. I'm like, oh girl. Yeah, I mean, I don't choices. I don't think the movie
3: is is a failure at all, but again, I th- I think you could walk away from it thinking that there was resolution in this particular yeah. case, mm-hmm. and that's the common and that and that happens it, and it if doesn't
2: I
0: could add just because I, I hear what you're saying, Pam, and I think it from the standpoint of this feels like a very elaborate plot, like a scheme on the part of this group of men, and it was you know, based on the way it's all described, mm-hmm. which is probably. You know, point zero zero one percent of the kinds of assaults that uh, rapes that actually happen is that it's a collaborative group of people plotting and scheming and doing this thing. Whereas the much more sort of typical experience would just be a relative, somebody you know, who takes advantage of their position of power mm-hmm. and manipulates you, or or forces things on you against your will, with you totally being awake for it and you totally having to you know take part in that. So that. I can understand, like, this is a very highly pitched kind of elaborately plotted version of male on female sexual assault and violence that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, but, but it, but it does work for dramatic purposes, too, to, like, get us to understand what could possibly bring this number of women together, like, all the women of this community together to have to have this kind of discussion. It would have to be an event, this kind of...
3: Elaborate. Mm-hmm. You know, the character that I would have liked to have heard more from was the Frances um, McDormand character. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I it's was like, so mad. She I was oh, like, oh, like, where like are you?" are oh, sitting why? there looking at her face and the scars at her face, and you, you're wondering, "Hmm, you know, what happened there? Is she, you know, did she sort of represent uh, the holdout, the mother who knew what was happening and didn't come forward or didn't feel?" powerful enough and again even though i think this movie is about sexual assault and pain it's also really about power
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know it's about power and and the reason why the dialogue takes as long is because these women do not feel like they have power because they're outlining their options we can stay we can stay and try to punish them or we can leave mm-hmm I, I,
1: there were a few times that I'm, I'm just like, why do we all have to go? Like, I feel like if, as, as a mother of boys, but a 14 year old and a four year old, I'm just like, you know, if, if that was happening, I don't give a fuck if my neighbor leaves. Me and my kids, we are, we're gone. And don't get me wrong, there's a community thing that goes with it and the acceptance and getting into heaven. And I forgot if we can cuss or not. So maybe we should oh, we clarify. doing Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'm always, I, I always, it pops out and then I'm like, eee. Okay. So. I just feel like with the the mentality of, of all going together, there, were, there was just this, I understand that there's a community, but I also understand that if they are already individually coming to this decision, I would almost, not that I didn't like the film, but I would almost be more interested if they had voted to stay or they had voted to do nothing. And then what would have happened? Then you've got that small sect of, of women who are like, absolutely not. I feel like maybe that would have had a stronger resolution for for me and for my what I brought to the film and what I came in with it. Um, I wanted to see maybe those women's story a little bit more. I know that you know the old lady got left, but
2: I didn't. uh, That was my one quibble with the ending was the um, that really beautiful um, freckle-faced woman who is Frances McDormand's. Mm -hmm. Daughter, clearly the the redhead with the blind or sight impaired daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't quite tell what the story was there, but you know we don't see her the whole film. She was not gorgeous. gorgeous, She I love. She looks like an elf. Yeah, she just looked (laughs) absolutely gorgeous Um, with no makeup on and everything. Mm -hmm. But I hate her. Yeah, (laughs) 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 but I thought honestly when she we are a spoiler. Yes. Show Absolutely. so mm-hmm. I'm sorry, everyone. But Dumbledore dies. We don't.
1: <laughs> Wait, sorry. No. I, that was the first thing I could think of. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm not a. I'm not a big Rowling. Okay. Anyway, go But ahead.
2: when that, so I'm not even sure if she has any lines. I can't recall if that particular character has any lines in the beginning. She doesn't. At the end, she wordlessly. She she is taken with Frances McDormand to their home or to a home for the entirety of the movie, until those last couple of shots, where she wordlessly grabs the hand of her sight-impaired daughter, and they hop on a buggy. I (laughs) thought that is my quibble with the ending, Mm -hmm. because I thought it would be a much more impactful ending if she had stayed, and they had shown a shot of her like sharpening a knife or something. Because those are the choices. Mm -hmm. There's stay and do nothing, which Frances McDormand is clearly engaging in. There's leave, which we know happens to the majority. And there's stay and fight. And I just can't believe that a a mother of a young daughter who is going to be more vulnerable given her disability, um, I cannot believe she would not fight if she stayed behind I thought that would have been a more impactful ending but I am no filmmaker I just thought that that I was that was my one issue with the ending I didn't like that she left rather than stayed and fight
1: I um I want to you've actually said a couple things and I'm always like I don't want to interrupt you I'm like hey girl I want (laughs) to say some things to you um when you were saying like oh man like I don't really know like was it her daughter this that I thought there really could have been a clearer connection for how the hell everybody's related I tried keeping track as I went and I'm not dumb sometimes but there were moments I'm like okay that one's that one's daughter that one did she say that did she say mom or did she say un, did, what okay and then by the end I felt pretty confident um and I don't know if that could have been told maybe a little more visually I know that the sisters had dresses that were made out of the same material I was like oh that's cute they're the ones on the cover uh the, cover of the poster. So I don't know if there could have been maybe a more visual cue for someone who was like, OK, I'm following. I got this. Or I'm processing a lot, but I need a cheater code here. Because mm-hmm. um, like all white women look the same. Um, I also don't know if this movie would have been more or less impactful specifically for our audience if this was based on a Bolivian story. These are not Bolivian women.
2: But the women in the were actual okay, story are okay. Mennonite women Thank from, you for the, clarifying from that. the Americas, like... from, from North America. Okay. It was a like a, I, I don't want to oversimplify, uh-huh. but I believe this, the original story is like a Jim Jones situation. Oh. Like a take the Mennonites from the, you know, Lancaster, whatever, you Uh know, from the, you know, um, Mm Amish-ish community, the Mennonite community, and we're all going to go and form a new utopia.
1: Thank you for clarifying that. Because I was like, how have I not heard about whitewashing this movie? No. If a bunch of Bolivian women were... No,
2: I believe the actual story is they are white, American. And
3: a lot of times they'll move when they're, um, they're too related and they'll get two different communities to mm-hmm. send groups of people to start another
1: I community. I learned a really gross fact about that, but I don't know if I should. Um, so I work in the oil field related industry. Um, basically, I just deal with a lot of oil field guys. And they like to tell me just some of their most random stuff. Um, it's always interesting. And one day I showed up and he was telling me about um, some breeding stock that he has, uh, not humans. And he was saying, yeah, actually, it's, it's weird because... This post, I, I couldn't. I almost got all the way through it. <laughs> um,
0: not human. That was good delivery, okay.
1: <laughs> Um, he was telling me about they were having uh problems finding suitable breeders, and he's like, yeah, well, but it's cool because I can mate the the father to the daughter. That's fine. I was like, same what? And he's like, yeah, well, and he was explaining how the genetics worked. I'm like, no. And then he's like, well, I'm I'm not. Lo- I'm not saying I'm going to, like, with people or anything. I'm like, sir, do you have children? And he was just like, oh, no, I, I, I have sons. I'm like, thank God. Yeah. It was yeah. like this whole this whole thing was unraveling, and I think the thing that made me the most upset was I knew I had to Google it later, and now that's on my search history, and I'm on a watch list. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's
3: it's actually what they do do, like, with laboratory mm-hmm. rats that you yeah. research. They're all genetically the same uh-huh. because uh-huh. then it's like having 100 of the same. Subjects. Hey,
1: I mean, you can't buy those kind of results. But
3: I thought the the downplay on names and differentiation was part of the aspect of the movie that was about how individually these women would not have made the decision, but collectively as a group Mm -hmm. they were able to. And I really think that that's the case for a lot of women, is that they don't come forward until um another woman and look at the movie she said you know i mean the big breakthrough on that story comes through is when they can get enough women collectively to come forward and i think that that's one of the real differences um between how this is portrayed in the movies and how it happens in real life is is that there's this force behind women's voices and when they come together as a collective they're able to move past some of these barriers of power mm-hmm. and resources and stuff to move forward. And I thought both of those movies kind of illustrated that, but again, the, the part that sort of leaves me unsatisfied, it, and, and this is based on my work many years as a psychologist, is that isn't how it happens for most people.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and even though the Me Too movement brought forward a lot of voices like that, Everything got fuzzy after a while because it was almost there was no differentiation between sort of a serial rapist, and you know, um, you know, a modest form of sexual hara- harassment. Everything got kind of, kind of blurred, and at least it got blurred for me, and and so I think that was that was part of the message in this movie was that collectively they were able to make choices that they might not have been made individually. And, you know, we come from such an individualistic society that we think that everybody's acting that way. But, you know, there's always a context to behavior. And um, I think it's the context of that group that allowed these women to be able to move forward. Yeah, I think
1: there's... um... So when you're, we're talking about like the collective, like, and I loved everything you just said. So this is not in a, I'm not going to disagree with everybody for everything. Um, When we have like kind of that collective and that's how we all come forward. I think this film also showed the ugly side of that as well. Like kind of the other, the other half, the other side of the coin, the other cheek. Um, Very specifically in the scene, um, there was the plus size girl, the goddess that had the glasses that was smoking all the time. Um, She has an anxiety attack or panic attack Mm -hmm. or some other, you know, form variation. And you see the other woman who is so angry. This happened to all of us. We don't do that. Why do you do that? You're always going for attention. And why are you weak? Why are you weak? And it shows like it really goes into there's no perfect victim. And automatically that makes me like hear Amber heard in my head regretfully like there's no perfect victim. Like how am I supposed to act? but you get this in between women even today like i have shared my story with someone before i have you know had those discussions and some sometimes they're like judgy like oh well you're upset by this oh you got nightmares oh that's i guess you like i guess you're not really over it like no i can be over it and i can i can i've gone to therapy i've done all the things um but yeah, occasionally I'll still get a nightmare. It's fine. Like victim shaming each other feels so much worse when it's coming from other victims. So yet I feel you are absolutely on it with like the collective, but there and there's still that individual pitting against each other. Yeah, I don't know how to follow that up, but cool. Um, I guess that's a, a a cute thing that you mentioned, not cute, that was Opposite of the word I wanted. Just rewind that tape. You just know? say a cute
3: as in, you know, like, acute. Yeah, like a cute. Yeah, like a
1: triangle. No, um, I it, it's my cute font that I wrote it in because I was like, oh. I'm going to remember to talk about that. Um, when you were talking about your experience at the theater and there were like girls laughing. Um, I'm not saying you were judging them and that was a judgy thing mm-hmm. or anything. Um, there was a quote in the film. Oh, I was very much judging. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I want, maybe I can change your perspective on this a little bit. Because there's a quote in the film when they're talking about all the women and they are laughing their asses off. And it is not funny. None of it's funny. And they are laughing. And she, that, that young narrator voice. It's Like, sometimes I think people laugh as hard as they want to cry. Mm. And sometimes yeah, yeah. seeing those things like... Maybe they don't think it's funny, but I, I just thought about it. I was like, "Man, I was like, why would they be laughing?" And then instantly, that quote came in my head. I was like, "Oh, maybe they wanted to cry. Maybe that was their defense mechanism, like popping hmm. up. Maybe it was yeah. so uncomfortable, you know." I could imagine it for certain
0: moments. I think a continuous, a continuous, is yeah, probably, you know, you but, know. But I hear where you're coming
2: from. It's I mean, maybe, maybe
0: I, I laugh sometimes when I get too anxious and nervous. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing
2: wrong with nervous laughter. It just seemed, um, it was just off-putting for me. Yeah. And well, I mean, the other half of the story is that Mm. I went to the ladies room right after the movie was out and they were like trash talking the movie as they washed their hands. And I was like, oh, I don't think you understand what you've watched. I just, I don't think you get it. And I, I'm very judgy in that sense. I mean, maybe, (laughs) but I had to also think that perhaps there is one woman in their group of friends who knew exactly what she was watching Mm -hmm. and will go home and really think about it and maybe see it again or talk it up or, you know,
3: be yeah. glad
2: when Sarah Polly wins something. <laughs> well, and
3: you know, it isn't just the power structure of, you know, masculinity. I hate words like patriarchy and all that other stuff. I think they're so overused that defeats women in this way, but it's also other women, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that there is a desire for people to not acknowledge the truth of that. And and it is because a lot of it is very uh fuzzy i uh, when i was on my internship i spent a year at a child study center and one of the hardest things for me to learn how to deal with were children that were two or three years old who had been sexually assaulted Mm. and and these kids didn't even have words for the emotions that they experienced and it really helped me understand why as adults people can't always talk about the things that have happened to them because they happen to them in a space that they don't have language for. You know, we rely so much as adults on our language in order to be able to talk about how we feel about things. And you just can't telescope that child experience into adulthood. And, um, you know, with the the Claire Foyt character and her anger about her daughter, made me think about that's, you know, that's one of the ways that women can acceptably express anger is in the service of their children. I mean, that's a very... Very sort of acceptable way for women to be angry, as opposed to women being angry at the people who perpetrate these mm-hmm. acts on them. And um, you know, so I watched women talking, and then I watched she said, and then I watched Tar.
1: I haven't but, seen that one. I know I, I and I, no. but it's
3: also about um, sexual impropriety. And but it's it's interesting because it's a famous female lesbian conductor and who's at the you know sort of peak of global stardom and the character is very interesting and then slowly things start to crack and you realize that she has had sexual relationships with many of her students and sort of taken advantage of them. There's no sense that the, uh, one of them ends up killing herself and so then everything sort of starts to come out and I mean she just spirals into darkness and loses everything and stuff. And I'm watching that and I thought, well, that's terrible. And then I thought, but look at this. You've got a group of marauding male druggist rapists. You've got, she said, which is one man who probably raped literally hundreds of women. And then you have this female character, a character of power, who has sexually inappropriate relationships with students, which when I was in college, nobody would have thought twice about. And and the movie crushes her at the end. And I thought, are we applying a different standard again to women and men, and is this somehow related to this whole issue of who we take seriously? Uh, Many years ago, Mark Hartlove and I did a paper on the International Film Institute's 10 Top Heroes and Villains. Mm -hmm there were more male heroes than female heroes. And the male villains were people like Darth Vader mm-hmm. and <laughs> Hitler, you know? I mean, yeah, when I think of and one, I think of the And the other. women villains were people like um, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction and Nurse Ratchet, And the women villains, were, or they were supernatural like mm-hmm. the, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. But the women villains' primary crime was an interpersonal crime, you know? And, Not you know, the, the male crimes one. were like world domination and mass murder. And yet there were more female villains than male villains. And, and so I think there's still this sort of double standard in terms of how we view power in men and women that swirls through this movie And, you know, if you decontextualize it, if you just move it into this beautiful, soft, sepia-toned space in Bolivia, it feels real whole. Mm -hmm. But if you take it out and show it in the light of day, it feels less whole to me. You know, once the lights come up, it feels different to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those lights were real bright at the end, though. (laughs) Like,
3: it got real bright, and there's birds
1: chirping, and I was like... "Uh, And did
3: they have the five-minute cancer thing before the movie when you saw it?
0: No, they had the evil dead trailer
3: no they had a five, five minute, minute like a plea uh,
0: for uh funds like fundraising no it was
3: just a, like a five minute thing about how oh, many people you get cancer on, you guys, and... you watched on peacock right no i watched it on
1: at the theater oh at the th- never mind i know it's only in theater never mind we were talking about peacock earlier <laughs> and i, I was know what like, i'm doing oh
3: yeah what a great way to start a movie <laughs> i mean it
1: didn't get much happier after that i mean if i'm honest <laughs> Um, I do have a question um, for you guys about how you felt about their talking, because I feel like it's something that distracted me pretty often. Um, So I know there were like, you know, kind of like neutral accent in there. But for driving home that they were so uneducated that they had to have August there. um, He had to take the minutes. He had to do the writing. um, The vote tallies were based on pictures. Um, I felt like a lot of their speech, even from my experience, like briefly with the Mennonite community it was so formal mm. and it sounded so educated and it sounded very like, it was just, Chris, I don't know, chef kiss, <laughs> it was so nice. But I'm like, I, I don't believe that these women can't read.
0: Mm. Really? I see, I see what you're saying,
2: yeah. I, I think, I, I thought of it as just a slightly more old fashioned, polite way of speaking. Mm-hmm. Not a, I mean, we are overly casual mm-hmm. today. What's up, bruh? <laughs> exactly. So I I I saw it as just sort of a you know days gone by okay type of uh
3: well and the the Mennonites are more liberal than mm-hmm. the Amish but yes. when I worked with the Amish community I mean no zippers mm-hmm. um you know there and they used a lot of thee and thou and it was very very yeah. formal but I really saw August's role as that of a witness. I, I I know there was and that moment. He had to be a male witness, mm-hmm. right? Because they couldn't access the system of power without mm-hmm. a man.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They I wanted just...
0: there to be a record of this thing, but because if if they chose to leave, which ultimately they did, mm-hmm. what would the men who came back? Because again, they're totally absent, mm-hmm. for, other than August and uh, and Klaus. I guess <laughs> comes back briefly. Um, that you know to have that kind of account of what. what took place here. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just curious. I was like, it was something that, um that I thought about when I was watching it and I, I kind of did like a little bit of reading afterwards uh-huh. and I kept seeing it pop up like, hey, like did, like do you
2: believe they don't know how to read? And I was like, in, I didn't even
1: really think about it that way. In uh-huh. closed
2: off communities though, mm-hmm. you, they have a tendency to not evolve with language. Uh, insular communities mm-hmm. have a tendency to not evolve yeah, in which language at sense. all. Uh-huh. There's an island off the, the Mid Atlantic Coast, Virginia-ish—I forget where it is—they still speak mm-hmm. exactly as we believe colonial settlers yeah. spoke. It's an insular community; mm-hmm. their language has not evolved. Okay. So, and if you think of, you know, uh, any sort of community that is just shut off, there, there is no influx of new information, yeah. new and words. It, and new it wasn't slang. necessarily
1: like the lack of slang in there. Mm-hmm. It was I think it was like more of like the structure of the sentence and every, and mm-hmm. it just I once once it was pointed out to me I'm like now I can't now I can't <laughs> but remember. This said
3: he was the school teacher for the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that, and that's
1: mm-hmm. why I was like they they've already made a point. Like they want to escape so that way their children can learn. We need to have the women have a position of power in our community. We need our, our daughters to learn. Um, got some, like, minor Handmaid's Tale vibes going on here and mm-hmm. there. Like, okay, like, our daughters need to learn how to do this.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but how many generations th- have they been in that spot? They yeah. didn't just come 10 years ago. No. They didn't just come 30 years ago. How many generations... And, clearly, they get married and pregnant fairly young. Mm-hmm. And, so, how many generations have they been there? Did they yeah. come over in Francis McDormand and... I forget her name. Um, Judith uh, Ivy. maybe. Uh, did they yeah. come over in the older women's time? Did they come in their mother's mm-hmm. time? D- when did they come over? Yeah. And what year was that? And where did they come from in the first place? One of these Mennonite communities in the Pennsylvania, right. Ohio area. You know, I mean, I would have to read the book, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I've, I've already read a Miriam Taves, and I'm finished. Yeah, it sounds I'm like done. straight up not a good time. Well, she's just, she's um, bleak. She's very bleak. So it's like reading Cormac. McCarthy. Yeah, you know, it's like. Although I love Cormac McCarthy, I, yeah, <clears throat> I
3: love him too. But you know, you got to be in the mood. So lewd. you can take mm-hmm. a
2: bleak man. But oh like yeah.
3: That. Oh my That's gosh. Right. Yeah, I'm such a shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: not gonna lie. I've been listening to a lot of dirty novels lately, so I'm like not on your level. But if you if you want to talk about smut, like hit me up later. like oh, to talk sweet. about it. Um, I accidentally got a recommendation from my boss. Oh, <laughs> whoopsie. Yeah, audiobooks are real weird when I'm driving. Speaking anyway, she said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do want to make sure we we give a shout out to the like the M mvps of this film who's your mvp ruth and cheryl uh, the uh. horses
2: that keep coming up in the I, discussion i had to think who <laughs> were ruth and cheryl She's like, well when i take ruth and cheryl up the road and well like we get it we get it but we you get know
3: it. you know who we haven't talked about is uh, and i can't think of her name is the girl who's basically sort of represented as trans why? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I brought up Melvin, Melvin. yeah, and Melvin. that was
1: that moment was probably the that got me pretty good, got me pretty good.
3: Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, because I thought that the, you know I thought kind of like the August character that they they were more representations than they were really characters. I mean, what do we know about August? He's writing down the the notes so that nobody can dispute the women, right? Yeah. And then he's suicidal, Well, right? we, we, we got quite a bit,
1: because um, they were discussing his mother was a very similar views of the women that are having the discussion. Yeah, he got ejected. And he got right. ejected. And then he you know went to university. Came. I feel like, yeah, OK. Yeah, but
3: at the end, he just randomly hands her his pistol and says, here, take them. Yeah, that moment was <laughs> real know. weird. I'm not going to kill myself anymore now that the love of my life is walking out. <laughs> Um, like, <laughs> but the Melvin yeah. character was really interesting, I thought, because there was a big question mark about whether or not she was the way she was because she was rejecting uh, the things that had happened to her mm-hmm. or if it was because of who she really was or because if she thought that representing her man, herself as a man would make her more powerful so that she couldn't be assaulted mm-hmm. again. And then the not speaking thing. Yeah, yeah except for yeah. the children.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, th- I think definitely a complicated character in there that that leaves you lots of things to think about without really answering. Yeah, and
2: questions. I'm not pre- I'm not prepared to discuss Melvin whatsoever because I'm still pondering his part in the show in the movie, and I'm I'm not really I haven't come to any kind of yeah hard thought about it at all. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I was along for the ride with yeah. that one. So. Yeah. Well, it, it'd be some crispy business. You know?
1: <laughs> good hey, I, th-
0: this has been a great discussion. I've, I've really, I, I think I've learned a lot here. And I'm just going to give one quick shout out though before we move on to the beer because one of my favorites, it, it, you know, well Sarah Polly is one of my favorites, and I think the Jesse Buckley here, um, who plays reach, the the sort of angriest, of the, one. even though she's not really angry, but you know. Um, I think she does a great job. I love seeing her pop up in more stuff now. I, I hope she keeps uh, getting these kind of roles, but I, it's just, you know, Polly as an actor herself, I think it makes perfect sense that she picked such great performers to do this. And, you know, I think Pam said it earlier that this film sort of, it rests totally on those performances. It, it, it's almost, you know, stripping it's away like the color like a naked palette. movie. Yeah, it's like, it's stripping things down to the barest. And we're calling this film Women Talking. It is about them delivering these lines in ways that are compelling. And I think with the cast she assembled, that happened. I think had you had a different cast, had you not had her at the helm of it, I think it could have very easily become a chore that would have been, you know, tiresome very quickly. But, um, think you know, I found it, it in the strangest way possible, incredibly entertaining. <laughs> you know, it, it had me the whole time. Well, Indeed. you know,
3: the woman who played the angry woman, and I'm sorry, I'm really awful with names, yeah. which is a weird problem to have when you're a psychologist. <laughs> um, they really needed that character. Sometimes when I watch ensemble pieces like that, the question I ask myself is, which one of these people would I like to be stuck with on a desert island <laughs> with? August. And, well, sorry, that was my, yeah, yeah uh, but, you, but you, you, you kind of want the angry person cause they're tough and yeah, you know that they're yeah. going to survive, yeah. right? You yeah. know, that she looked like somebody who'd be able to do the things that you needed to do to survive once she made up her mind. And, you know, we really haven't talked about the Mara Rooney character yeah. at all who was so soft mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, so pregnant, obviously as a result of assault and yet so committed to that pregnancy. And yeah. I thought that was, there was also a very important idea there as well that I could never quite put my finger on. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, there there's a lot here and there still will be, <laughs> and there's definitely gonna be a lot in our second half, but before we get there, um, we, we did uh, have a beer that we were sipping on as we were doing this, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think it seemed to fuel the conversation okay. I, I was, Enjoying it while I was listening a lot of the time. What, what, what did what did you all think? Who were actually uh, doing a lot of the talking there?
1: Um, I this thing made me burp so much. I kept leaning <laughs> away hard. from the microphone. There's I was like, uh, I like, like a, a, a nice lager. lager. Okay. I mean, I'll drink another bit. But it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I'm getting used to this beer thing. Oh, <laughs> getting empty. <laughs> you we, can have have this we have more. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. okay.
3: I was we like, you can more. have it. Um, I, I think Unlike the conversation uh, it was light. <laughs> <laughs> well done.
1: Well done. Um yeah, I mean
0: I I, I love a good lager. It's it, the further along I go in my craft beer journey, uh, it it seems like more and more I have the appreciation for things that are just really smooth and simple and and can be light but still tasteful. You know, there's still a nice little hoppy bite in there. I don't think it's overpowering. Um, I, I th- this uh, I'll say is a regular staple in my rotation. I, I almost always have a few cans of this around. So glad we got to do it on the podcast. Glad that we uh, we used it while we were talking about this first film this week. But we do have a whole other film to cover. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about "She Said."
1: That's what she said. <laughs>
0: Is exciting I I've neglected to mention in the first half but a little of my rationale for bringing the real ale because like I said we've had the real ale brewing um, several times on the podcast before uh, thought it thought it would be a good one to bring back though because it is uh, part female owned there what one of the co-owners of the brewery is a woman and that is the case as well with Independence Brewing out of Austin Texas where they uh, have our second beer for tonight, Uh, that is their Chocolate Porter. This, uh, as uh, advertised there with the name, it is a porter. They've incorporated some chocolate into it. I think it is relatively modest, 5.6%, so not super heavy, kind of staying in that nice Modest range, so that Pets we can have a, a thoughtful discussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now
1: now we're on my beer language. Yeah. Uh,
0: but, we'll, but we'll see. Yeah. So something a little darker here for the other half, because we're not getting any lighter with the content, folks. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, uh, but we are switching gears. Um, Pam had already made reference in the first half uh, to this uh, other film that we're going to be looking at. She said also a 2022 release. Um, also a film that's been sort of in the awards mix a little bit, although not so much with the Oscars. It didn't get any love there. She, um, Women Talking did, so that's, you know, we can all hold out hope there. Um, but this one did get some love. I know uh, at least Carrie Mulligan got nominated for the Golden Globe, um, and I believe that um, Maria Schrader maybe got some critics' uh, nominations and whatnot. And so, um, but Trader is the director. This is a film based on the true events that sort of led to the undoing of Harvey Weinstein, the work of two um, pretty tenacious New York Times reporters, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey. These are being uh, portrayed in the film by Carey Mulligan, who I just mentioned, and Zoe Kazan, who... who Many may know from many things, also the, the granddaughter of uh, Ilya Kazan, and, and many a, a storied family in terms of theater and film. So, um, so there's some pedigree there, but, but here we kind of see the unfolding of their attempts to do the investigative reporting that it takes to put together the piece that eventually puts into the public eye this story about Harvey Weinstein that had been lurking in the shadows for many, many years and sort of whispered about and and whatnot within the industry, kind of like one of those worst-kept secrets, but yet something that nobody had ever really acted upon, um, at least in any public way. And I think that describes the film well enough. I and think you did a great okay, job. Good. Yeah,
1: right. yeah. Well, like you know, like fist bump, but not really, because you. you know, audio. Well, yeah, <laughs> and you know, the big
3: question: why <laughs> didn't anybody do anything about him when everybody knew about it? Well,
0: it kind of goes back. Well, yeah, I'm dropping the gun, but you know what you were talking about—the collective here mm-hmm. that, that needs to come about. Yeah,
3: and power. You know, because I was after I watched both of those movies, I thought you know when people talk about women's power they always think about it sort of interpersonally can I stand up for myself you know kind of Mm -hmm. type thing but really what was the power in the Weinstein story it was money you know and maybe maybe. you know if women had more economic power A they'd be harassed less and B they'd be able to stand up to it more easily because again who don't these films represent? You know, they don't represent, you know, all the women who can't. Which is oftentimes people who don't have economic resources. I feel like um,
1: this film wasn't one that I probably would have seen if it weren't for the podcast. Um, the subject matter, specifically the, the person subject matter, isn't interesting to me. Like, I, I obviously... What, Me Too started in 2006, uh, is that right? It was first coined in 2006? The original movement. It, yes. And then the popularization yes. came later. Yes, and then came right? later. So, um, like, I was 16 in 2006, so, like, I was growing up in, you know, like, that young adult phase as it's starting to get more popular. Um, now I am 30-something, um, lower 30-something, but 30-something. And, like, I've, I've really kind of, I feel like I've grown as a woman kind of with this a little bit. Um, and I was seeing some identity with these characters as it was going um, but this film isn't something that I, I was really interested in I don't know I think I, I, was, I was kind of I was bored with, with Weinstein at this point like I was so sick of hearing about it not that these women's story aren't it's not important or not that these are things that need to be talked about I feel like maybe if it were more fictionalized like maybe I would have been like oh okay Mr. Jones yeah fuck him he sucks like he's the worst when it's like oh Rose McGowan I'm like hey girl I love Charmed yeah I remember I remember you um it almost had two two real in in some ways that I didn't enjoy and then it was very real in other ways that I'm like yes 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 I, I I identify with this I accept this I like it um yeah, that was just kind of why i'm like yeah i've got a- i think i'm gonna have a lot more to say on the other film this one didn't didn't really um maybe appeal
2: as much to me but i think that's fair i think that you know i would have preferred to see the work of female imagination versus this true crime mm-hmm. story and part of the reason why i didn't enjoy is not the right word enjoy question mark like yeah. how can you enjoy a movie about It's cute me? right yeah it's yeah, super it's cute, cute. Yeah. yeah um but part of the reason why i didn't <clears throat> like this film as much as i thought i might is because i got i mean i already saw this film and it was called spotlight i i did the whole movie long and i've seen spotlight probably half a dozen times I love that movie. Can you
1: give me a quick synopsis? Because I have not seen Spotlight. Spotlight is...
2: Um, Pitch it to me, girl. <laughs> well, <laughs> So you're a bunch of newspaper reporters at the Boston Globe. Okay. And there's a special section called Spotlight. Okay. But it's their investigative journalism team. And okay. they don't put out a story every day or every month even. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's once or twice a year. It's, okay. It's, it's got to sp- be good. It's got to be good. It's got to be like spend, Weinstein. And they spend Weinstein? months...
1: Weinerstein? sign Something? And
2: they spend months and years mm-hmm. reporting on it. So... Spotlight focused on the Catholic priest sex abuse scandal oh, in Boston. Yeah. I did hear about it. Okay, So I highly recommend you'll enjoy it a okay. lot. I mean, enjoy question mark a lot more okay. than um, she said. I just I already saw this movie and it's called Spotlight. And I just the whole time I was watching, I just thought, I feel like this is an exact scene from Spotlight. And I I don't know that they were consciously attempting or not attempting, you know, like, shadow scenes of each other. It just, it just seemed like, if I hadn't seen Spotlight, I would have really thought this was Mm -hmm. quite moving. Okay. But I've already seen Spotlight.
1: It's like watching, like, another episode of Law & Order. Like, you know how, you know where it's going.
2: I mean, it's sort of like original Law & Order Sam Waterston against, like, Law & Order (laughs) Criminal (laughs) Intent. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah.
3: I thought where this movie worked the best, because the story was so well-known, like you said, Mm -hmm. was when it got personal. And to me, the most personal part of it is when the one reporter is over in Cornwall interviewing the woman who worked for Harvey Weinstein. Jennifer
2: Ely, by the way, one of my favorites.
3: Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, the one with the dark hair. Oh. Not the other one. Oh, no. But the, red her head, too. the redhead is but, Jennifer Ely. Yeah. But the woman who's sitting there saying, Well, you know, he asked me to come to his room and mm. and and she what she was describing I thought was incredibly realistic in terms of how somebody could get caught by one of these sophisticated predators. Because, you know, I think you know, those girls laughing at women talking. Would be the ones who walked out and said well you know if a guy tried to do that to me you know i'd blah 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 well yeah you know anyone would do that but you know this woman described that sort of insidious well you know i was young he was my boss i went to the room you know i thought it was okay and then this happened and then that happened and the other woman the one that you were talking about described something very similar although she's she's wrapped real tight when she talks about Mm -hmm. it but the other woman the one that has breast cancer that's getting ready to go into surgery.
2: That's Jennifer Ely. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
3: um, you're like, yeah, this is exactly how it could happen to a 19-year-old girl. You know, because because there's that assumption that people are good and they're going to be nice to you and they're not going to take advantage of you, particularly if you're a young person. And, you know, in some ways I think... The women depicted in this movie, who are a little bit older, were more sexually savvy in some ways than I see young women today. You know, as as somebody who just retired from teaching young people, I see college women as more, I mean people know a lot about sex but they don't know a lot about sexual politics and intimacy and the interpersonal negotiation of sexuality because a lot of it has happened through technology which is a very two-dimensional artificial way Mm -hmm. to communicate about stuff Yeah, and so they think that it's going to happen just like texting somebody and it's not you know when you get in a real situation your adrenaline's vibing up and all this other stuff there's all kinds of other things that are happening and and I think that's what people don't understand about these sort of sexual assaults that occur with with people that are known, particularly when there's this massive power differential, is mm-hmm. that it's subtle and it's insidious and there are probably a hundred little choices along the way. And all you have to do is make one of those incorrectly and you're kind of snagged. And then what do you do? Yeah,
1: I remember when um, in that specific scene where she's saying, you're like, well, you know, and then he just asked for this. And, or, you know, like, oh, and it was it was just this. Um, I love true crime. Um, and one of the recurring themes, especially when I'm listening to female-based uh, true crime podcasts, they have a lot of young listeners. And they're like, hey, you don't owe anybody your politeness. Like, that mm-hmm. is the price of politeness. Like, you're supposed to respect your elders. You're supposed to be polite, be nice, be kind, don't talk back, do this, do that. And, you know, even... Not the same experience, but from experience, I've been in situations where it's like, oh, it's okay. It's just, you know, I just, I don't want to be rude. I just don't want to be rude. Like, okay, yeah, you gave me a ride home. Like, I don't want to be rude. Next day, they're like, did you let that drunk person drive you home? I'm like, oh, I didn't want to be rude, but I guess I could have died. Like, there there's that price of politeness that I think also kind of comes in that same, that same, like, nasty little package. Mm-hmm. The ugly little bow on it. It's not very cute, but... Mm-hmm. um uh, how did you feel about the intro to this film? Did you have any particular feelings
2: about it? You're going to have to remind me because it was a few days ago when okay. I watched it. Sorry. So
1: um, just like the other mm-hmm. film, I didn't read about it before I went in and I was like, oh yeah, it's that Weinstein one, right? Okay, cool. So I turn it on and all of a sudden it's it's Trump this, it's Trump that, it's oh, yeah. Nasty Woman. Oh, of course, woman. yeah. Um, did you, like, I, I don't want to like lead anybody on it. Like, how did you feel about that? just like
3: that basically <laughs> describes
2: my feeling just whatever audio came out of me yeah it's fine really. whatever.
3: well it goes back to that idea that i was talking about at the end of <clears throat> women talking was that wow well, look at this beautiful movie that is you know this very elegant portrait of this really serious situation that destroys lives and this shit is still happening mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can elect powerful political leaders because it's not just Trump, you know, and it's not just associated with a particular political party either. And it happens over and over and over again. And, we ex- and let's not forget that, um, how powerful those examples are to other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're somebody who looks up to somebody who's getting away with that kind of behavior, you're gonna feel more entitled to behave that way too. Yeah. Okay.
1: I, like, so for, for me, like coming in, I don't know if maybe Trump and, and Harvey have some connection that maybe I'm unaware of. Um, it almost felt like it was, it had its place, like where they're very similar things. But at first I was like, did I rent the wrong movie? Like, is this, is this what we're doing? Did they ask me to come on a political podcast? Like I said, I wasn't going to do this. Like, I mean, let's go ahead and say I did not vote for him. He, I've never, that is not my flavor of anything. Don't want it. Don't need it. Don't, don't gotta have it. But I almost felt like I kept thinking back to it and not in a way that I was like, oh yeah, that correlates. I was like, yeah, but what was up with all the Trump shit in the beginning? Like why? Like, okay. It, it just felt almost I guess in a way it felt like that was
2: maybe more what the writer was trying to tell me. It was and a little not, clunky, to be yeah. honest. I thought it, it not completely out of place, but not ever really tied in later. Yeah. There was no follow up. It just feel it felt to me like they were setting the scene for what yeah, that's women what were thought. feeling. Okay, but in a really bang you over the head with a hammer okay. well, way and
0: also i think right because it was tui right who, who later goes on like it was an experience that she has as an immediate precursor mm-hmm. to this one that ended mm-hmm. up being very upsetting for her and didn't maybe get the result that she had hoped for like sure okay. you know she does this exposing of this terrible behavior mm-hmm. and where did it get well Nobody Oh, okay. He's still, yeah. You know, like okay. so, it, it sort of like set this baseline of you know, yeah, you can do all the investigative journalism you want. It doesn't mean that it's going to really change much for you know. Yeah. Like it it may just kind of stay the same. So that then the question of motivation and what is going to get her to actually join and and it's this other reporter who you know hasn't maybe <laughs> ever, <laughs> had her heart crushed, um, or you know, or her her journalistic spirit crushed by that kind of event okay. in the same way. So that's that's at least how I contextualize I,
1: it. I still don't like it, but like at least it kind of makes sense now. Yeah. Um I will say like yeah. um the, the lady's daughter, Talia. Mm, um yeah. The, yeah, that's my dog's name. So I had before I put my earbuds in, <laughs> like there was a distinct moment where it'd be like Talia and, like, my overexcited Doberman uh, is, like, yes, yes, you called, you rang. Do you love me? Do you want me? Can you pet me now? And I'm, like, okay, girl, we got earbuds. You, like... And so I was, like, maybe I just missed something. But I was, like, where did we go from, like, orange Cheeto to, yeah. like, gross greasy? Like, there's there was something. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for thanks for explaining that to me.
0: Uh, you, you know, what, one of the pieces that I, I felt, like, I, and, and I'm hearing where you're coming. I, I think this is a less satisfying film than than Women Talking for for a few reasons, for me at least. Um, I think one thing that, as somebody who who has great interest in film and has studied film and and to some extent studied the film industry and and how it works, like there's a lot of stuff in there that just made sense to me that I don't know if it fully is available to every viewer, you know what I mean? In the sense that the film industry is so tightly controlled by just a few power players, and Weinstein
3: was one of them. Kind of like politics.
0: Kind of like politics, another realm that we could... Kind of like higher education, Pam. No. Uh, <laughs> I I thought
1: that David, but I didn't say it. Hey, it's kind of like podcasting. You know I, actually, I, I'm just kidding. I don't I just don't have anything cool to relate to. This, so I just thought I'd throw it in there. Well, but, but you know what I'm
0: saying? It's like so you know what you were talking about, Pam. Where you, you know to believe how how does a young person trying to enter get it? Like the film industry, it was almost. I I mean the fact that Weinstein got out of the way he did. I mean. Thank goodness something happened at, at some level there. But this was something that was baked into the industry in such a widespread way, much like politics, like you were talking about
3: before. Well, like life. It's just that we don't sensationalize everyday life. You right. know, everyday life doesn't make the movies. Right. 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 You know, it's kind of like when, you know, I teach abnormal psychology and my students will say, well, I've watched horrors And I'll say... That story on Hoarders didn't make TV because it was an average story. Yeah. It made TV because it was an... Ex- and, you know, movies are kind of the same, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, you're not allowed to come to my house. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying. My husband has
1: presented the case of my garage to me uh, no less than four There are four exceptional people among us.
3: Oh, okay. I don't judge other people's houses. Okay, well, you come over. Right now, mine has 30-some boxes of... Uh, stuff I, I, I moved out of my office okay i was scared for so. the next
1: word i was like boxes of what? boxes of what? what's in the box what's in, <laughs> the, what's in the box,
3: box? there's a lot of brains in the boxes girl we might have to talk later. okay
0: um yeah, going back to what you were saying emily though like the, there is a sort of by the numbers kind of investigative journalism thing now I spotlight would be the film that I kept going back to was all the president's men for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Sure, I feel like that's the, I think probably just the first that I saw when I was younger that was like that sort of trying to dramatize the act. I just love lo-
2: journalism. I just love a newsroom movie. Yeah. I love a newsroom movie. I don't know why. And after seeing all of them. It's it. Spotlight is closest. Mm-hmm. That's my analysis.
1: Is, um, so, is Spotlight as someone who uh, not seen Spotlight um,
3: will make you cry. Mm-hmm.
1: Challenge accepted. Okay, <laughs> all right, coming over. I'll come up. <laughs> yeah, because we're not going to my house. I don't yeah. have boxes of brains, but it's a little. It's the a closest little hectic. I got, I
0: did get a little teary when she got um, uh, um, Judd. When 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 Judd get finally. Ashley Judd when she finally says she's going to come like like I could feel that kind of I thought Kazan did a great job sort of putting that across because what a moment that would be for a journalist who's pursuing this kind of story but
3: you know I think some of what you're talking about in terms of kind of the flatness of it that spoke to me I mean you know, there was definitely a parallel in terms of the the female collective and trying to discover a voice and how difficult that was. But the flatness to me came out of the idea, and I just was sitting there and I thought, hmm, how many women would like it if two ace New York Times reporters uh, pursued mm-hmm. their case, their individual case? It would seem so. And, you know, so there there. And I guess when I think of people working in Hollywood, I do tend to think of privilege. And maybe it's just privilege within that group. But to me, it felt like a story of privilege in some ways. Because, I mean, you know, there are a lot of times these days when, you know, everything seems a little more complicated than it should be. And, you know, we're living in this, you know, COVID rules world where nothing works exactly quite right anymore. And I sit there and I, mean, I think, it didn't really work before, but like, well, yeah, but you know, it's the like, out of order there's, a, put back there's a, there's a few yeah. more cogs out of the wheel. Yeah. And it's like, I sit there and I think, what do people do who aren't assertive or, uh, can't figure it out? Or I, I unfortunately had to go down and sit at social security for an hour the other day. And it was like, oh my God, you know? And it's like, where are all the people who are not in the story? And that's how I felt about Mm -hmm. She Shed*. I mean, there was a lot of good things happening in that movie. I thought the two women who played the reporters were great. There's also this absence of a kind of a collective anger about the enormity of his crime and how he was allowed to pass for so long. But at the same time, I thought, you know, where are the real people? Mm.
2: Well, I mean, and also, like, so the postscript of the movie says, I'm making this number up unless I get it right, which is after the publication of said article. I remember the number. I'm listening. 82 more women. Oh, Oh, nice. 82 more women came forward to accuse Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault. And I also am thinking of the ones who never come forward, but I also think that that is their right and their privilege Mm -hmm. to remain silent if that is the best choice for them. There are plenty of women who go through life without ever reporting their assault, who deal with it on their own, with a therapist's help or similar, and they are not seeking justice so much as they are seeking healing. And so I think it's also important for women who have no desire to report to give them that space.
3: Yeah, and, and I think that that's fine, but I think that there are a lot of women who would have reported but didn't feel powerful enough or didn't feel like the system would listen to them. I mean, mm-hmm. there are all these crazy statistics about rape, like um, your husband or boyfriend is, and police officers are more likely to be sympathetic to you if you fought and been injured which is counterintuitive because you should be wanting to survive. And the more Mm -hmm. you fight, the more likely you are to have a negative outcome. You know, and so I think that there, you know, you have to place the individual within the context of how the behavior occurs. And if you choose not to report, that's fine. But there are probably women who would, but don't feel powerful enough to do it.
0: I, I mean, I think there's always that question of, you know, how much of it is is that person's individual choice, or how much is it the system that they exist within, and what it will allow them to imagine their choices are. You know, that I think you kind of brought it up in the first half, Pam, where you know, th- trying to understand the decisions that people make at sort of a remove is one thing, and I think, you know, by God, I hope everybody in this room feels empowered enough to speak for themselves. But I know that's not the case in and, and so many instances. And it's not about the people or individual. you know, it, It's about the limitations on the options that they feel. And I think a lot of that has to do with, if even if I speak up about this, what are those repercussions? Most likely it means I'm going to get ostracized. Most likely it means I'm going to be labeled as somebody who's making up stories or, or uh, not cooperative or whatever it is. And uh, th- that means I leave this industry. That means I leave this line of work that I thought I was you know, destined for and all that. And those are huge sort of life-altering consequences.
3: Well, and I also think that we still tend to polarize very strong women. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, there's been a ton of research on this. And the more powerful a woman is... Uh, the less likable she is typically seen as. And the more likable she is, the less Good. powerful she's seen They don't have to like seen as. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, but in, it took in, a long time to get this way, but yeah, here but I it, am. You it's know, fine. <laughs> in some professions, you have to be liked, you know? Oh, or you're not going to be successful, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And when you were talking, David, I was thinking of this little clip I saw that Trevor Noah did the other day about um, the death in Memphis. And he said, you know, they keep on talking about rotten apples, but maybe there's a rotten tree. And there's a psychologist who kind of talks about that, and he's like, it isn't that the apple is rotten, it's that the barrel is rotten that holds the apple. And, you know, and again, you know, I'm thinking about the rotten barrel that, you know, doesn't hold men accountable for these behaviors. And, you know, the the big absence in both of these movies is men and you know you know who's really going to change this behavior i mean yes women have to stand up but until there are real consequences for it that are unilaterally applied that don't absolve the rich i mean you know we're not all as rich as some me- members of the royal family who can <laughs> buy their way out of a lawsuit you know until until the the barrel is less rotten there will be more rotten apples. Yeah. You know the context of it is is I think so important. And
0: kicking out an apple can sometimes even just give cover to the barrel, right? I mean, like, oh, we've excised this demon. We we've dealt with it. Like, you know, here if the if the story is we've done away with Weinstein, yeah. But has the system really changed due to this? I mean,
2: I'm well, not I mean, saying I have no hope.
0: But yeah, it doesn't. I mean, based on well, what I've seen in the last five years, it doesn't feel like there's been. That seismic
2: shit. No, Louis C.K. just sold out Madison Square Garden. Mm. How is that even possible? I d I, I don't even know if it's one night or several nights, but Louis yeah. C.K. just sold out Madison Square Garden.
1: I mean, you're always going to have you're definitely always gonna have those men that are like, Yeah, so what? He just grabbed her ass. It's fine. Like or like, oh, he just did this. Like he was being a man. Like I I think that there there is a very deep discussion that can happen with this, and I'm just doing my best to not raise horrible humans. Like, oh my gosh, I know I, I mention all the time. I was like, I've got two sons, and I'm just trying to make sure they don't suck. Um, like we're having all the conversations that I can think to have, and hopefully that because of happen. the barrel
3: that they have to grow up in. Yeah. When you yeah.
1: when you said uh, the that the tree was rotten, I'm like, it's the root of
3: all evil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I make myself laugh. So um, <laughs> yeah, we um, <laughs> I um, and the barrel isn't you. You know i think the barrel is the school and society mm-hmm. and, I, and what i worry about is the more removed we get from interpersonal contact with each other mm-hmm. the more dangerous it becomes because mm-hmm. it allows us to treat people more like objects when they're just something at the end of a technological device. yes Mm-hmm. my uh my 14 year old and i were actually
1: having a recent discussion on the differences in generations because now he's getting old enough and like he doesn't listen to this podcast so like i can say <laughs> like he's pretty smart like so every once in a while i'll come up with something i'm like dang like did you get that from me i know you didn't get it from the other one i'm like okay um so like we're starting to have those like really fun conversations now and he was like yeah you know, like generation alpha i'm like wait is that a thing oh yeah it is okay cool Uh, We're talking about like his little brother's generation versus his generation, and we were talking about some of the things like the interpersonal uh, relationships and how that communication's going. Um, Of course, he's fourteen; like he's starting to talk to people he's interested in, and like, hey, like there, you know, rules, responsibilities, all of that. And then we started talking about his little brother, and my four-year-old had a speech delay. He has never known a stranger in his life. We went to Turner's Landscaping, and he held the man's hand. I was like, "You don't know his name?" He goes what's your name? He goes, uh, my name's James. He's like, oh, James is very
2: nice. I too have a Walmart greeter okay. as a son. Yes. So <laughs> I love I'm like, him. I'm like rolling out
1: the red carpet. Um, so we were talking about like the, the COVID impact on the formative years of his social, oh, like, yeah. it, it, like how is that happening? Um, which I guess is just a really, really long way to say that I do like this beer. And I liked the last one. <laughs> and I mean, the last one
3: was okay. Um, this beer tasted like dessert. I, Girl, this, I'm on a diet. I like
0: jam. it. I mean, you're, you're more of a dark beer fan in general. Yeah, anyway. when
1: we did a Creature from the Black Lagoon, by the end That's I was right. pooping into the abyss or something. Because I was like, yeah, it's fine. I got a fork pad. I like, think
2: you Psh. got the tagline for the episode. I, I was, that one. was so yeah. mad. I was,
0: we, we used it for
1: that
3: one. I no, think so, so, exactly. so, yeah. So upset. But I, I want to bring up that movie Tar again. Because yeah. here's this you know, really powerful female figure who is being accused of sexual exploitation. And she's clearly guilty. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there's deception. There's, she's taking advantage of people. uh, Blah, 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 blah. But there's a scene. I mean, she's at the pinnacle of her career. She's got to record one more Mahler symphony and she'll, you know, have them all recorded and she'll be a genius forever and ever and ever. And this all breaks out at that point. And, um... you see her dressed up and you think she's going to go on Mm -hmm. and the orchestra is warming up. Wait, I haven't seen it. Can I take my headphones off?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't want this boiler?
3: I need a water. I'll be right back. Hold on. (laughs) And, um, and then you realize she's walking in and there's somebody else conducting and she wails off and she just smacks him. Yeah, and knocks him over, and everybody's like, <gasps> and it's like, there was a part of me that hated that she did that, but there was a part of me who thought, oh my god, you know, it, it's it's kind of like Will Smith and Chris Rock, yeah. <laughs> except she's doomed to oblivion and conducting yeah. children in Thailand afterwards, you well, know. And this
0: and the and that guy had been her protégé or or wanting to be i mean he, he he clearly at least in her estimation wasn't really up to that task and then to have that be the person who takes over for i mean it's got to be the worst feeling in the world if you feel like you've you're at this level and then this person who aspires to suddenly jumps to that level
3: but yeah. again you know and you know here's this powerful woman and 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 then she has to be insane
0: yeah yeah
3: and and i mean compare her to Harvey Weinstein in terms of sexual exploitation, mm-hmm. it's like 1% versus 99%. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and 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 it, again, it go, kind of goes to that sort of reverse standard we have about female violations of interpersonal norms. And, like, you called it being polite, you know, mm-hmm. you're polite to people. Well, you know, women are brought up, I mean, maybe no one ever tells you this, but certainly they seem the behavior modeled over and over again to say Mm -hmm. okay well maybe it's not that bad Mm -hmm. you know kind of type thing and um i just thought that that was a really powerful contrast Mm -hmm. to how female anger was displayed in such a tiny little amount in these other stories
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and i i I don't know if it's anything to explore or not or just something i want to like just put into the the ether here but um when whenever like we're talking about like what what is power and like women in power um maybe it's just the, the the women I grew up with but like sex is so powerful like in in the community that I've I've been raised in like even if it's joking like you're talking about like a husband and the wife and it's like well she's not gonna put out for a while like sex is kind of that while it is almost like the downfall of what our power is like sometimes like i does this make it's sense?
3: Locus of I was like is this but yeah, yeah no, but, no, it, but yeah. it's an interpersonal Okay. Power. Okay, yeah. I just wanted right? to make sure yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So I was just yeah. wanted to make sure I'm like am I crazy like do, mm. do do does not everybody grow up thinking that like sex is like a really powerful thing and like we kind of have the the upper hand in some of it. or Maybe I just grew up in a very yeah, sex-positive family. But
3: remember how powerful that is in your family mm. may have a lot to do with economics mm-hmm. and all kinds of other things. We were poor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no, poor not and too then there's bad.
1: really poor. We weren't really poor. We were like... we, And we weren't poor. Sorry, Mom. Um, we were... Um, it was an interesting mix of people. Um, like, we, we had a few different religions, a few different uh, sexual identities in the family. And I mean, I even kind of jokingly, we're you know, like the, oh, well, she's going to do this or she's going to do that. Uh, whenever I see characters, um, and now I've forgotten every female villain I've ever seen in my entire life, except for the green one from Kim Possible on the Disney Channel. <laughs> but they are always hot like all of the female yeah. villains that like you really are like, oh yeah, except the me. wicked
3: witch of the west No
1: girl. Green, she did it for How me. About yeah. Ursula, <laughs> the sea witch. Plus oh, size girls gotta get love too. And, and she I becomes love hot her hair. At the end. <laughs> yeah. And then she gets like the banging body at the end, right? Does the voice.
0: I no, I feel like this is an after hours conversation. Yeah, this oh is my god. Yeah, no, sorry no, no, guys. No. But no, this has been a great discussion this episode. <laughs> I, I've really Where's enjoyed... Joe here to cut me off
1: well,
3: again? It, it just shows how confusing it is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. These are tough issues. And and I think whether the film succeeds or not, which it seems like we all kind of felt like women talking succeeds at, at what mm-hmm. it was trying to do. She said maybe a more mixed result, but it does give you lots of opportunity to, to talk about these things and think through them. And yeah, As does this beer, I think. I'll, There's no punny name to, to No punny name or anything, I, but Chocolate Porter... Truth and advertising. We hear it's a little desserty, appropriately so. I like that there's some nice. It's more like a dark chocolate for me because it's mm-hmm. got that. Yeah, nice, like, it's bitter. a little bitter. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that you know, the adult in me likes that, but the kid in me just likes that chocolate's there anyway. It would be
3: really good <laughs> in an Irish car cupcake, Ooh. which is traditionally you make the chocolate cupcake with Guinness, and then you put a, a Jameson's chocolate ganache in the middle, and then you make the frosting you make a Irish cream buttercream?
1: I don't know what it says about me, but you're like Irish Carbomb. I was like, yes, you're like cupcake. I'm like, yes, but a different kind of yes. All right. I'm yes to all of it. <laughs> like, let's just check them boxes. Well,
0: I've already mentioned after hours, and I'm hoping you all are going to stick around, and we'll get to talk a little bit longer, and maybe expand our discussion uh, in some ways. So hopefully all you listening might uh, join us there because that really is the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation doesn't end here. Um, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram. Um, and you can certainly find us on discord as well under the name beer in a movie. The conversation continues. we like to have a lot of kind of more casual conversation throughout the week. Sometimes we'll be talking about a specific, specific episode that just came out for us or a movie that we're all excited about seeing. Sometimes it's just, random stuff I don't know whatever Joe happens to be cooking that day (laughs) whatever I happen to be reading I don't know Um, we also mentioned the after hours uh, bonus episode if you want to hear that go to patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast sometimes we make them free from behind the paywall I think I'll probably put this one out there if anybody wants to hear it, so we'll we'll keep this open to the public. Public service. But if you like it and you want to join, you can do that right there, and then you'll get all the After Hours bonus content uh, that your heart desires. And we know you're listening on various podcast platforms, but before you leave that platform, why don't you rate us, leave a review. We hope you'll make it five stars. So that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there. We
3: hope you like all the powerful women on this podcast. And if Certainly. not, you're just a scare little no. I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've just experienced another supremely female-oriented episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time, I want to help and I don't know how.